Hello, my name is Debbie Ison, and welcome to Tranquil Awakenings. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Philippa, one of my closest friends of 13 and a half years. During our conversation, we're going to be looking back over our friendship and the journey that has happened along the way, how we've healed therapeutically and how we've supported one another in the process. I hope you enjoy today's episode. So I'm here today with my friend Philippa and we've been friends now for about 13 and a half years. Yeah, about 13 and a half years. That's right. Yeah. So how I met you, it's going all the way back and I had been a primary school teacher and during my training to be a primary school teacher, I found that I had a particular interest in the children who struggled, the children that had perhaps complex needs in terms of their emotional behaviour. And I was aware that in mainstream settings, often the teachers and teaching assistants weren't always sure how to deal with those children. So when it got to my third year of university, I got the opportunity to do an additional placement, a voluntary placement. And it was for a month in some sort of specialist setting. And I knew that I loved working with those children. So I applied for the local school for children with emotional and behavioural issues. And I ended up in your class. You certainly did. And what a class it was. <laughs> it was um, a very challenging um, year. And I hadn't really been teaching that long myself, I don't think. I think it was probably about four or five years into my teaching career, maybe. Gosh, you see, because I thought it was so much longer because you came across as so experienced and so calm and so efficient. And I remember, I think on day one, when I got into the class, I think you had eight or nine children in the class and there was you and a couple of teaching assistants. Yeah. And you were just teaching and all of a sudden this child from nowhere grabbed a pair of scissors, took hold of the child's hair next to him and put the scissors around his throat. Yeah. And you just were so calm. Your, t- your teaching assistant sort of swooped in and you just carried on teaching without even acknowledging it or taking a breath. <laughs> And I just remember being in complete awe, thinking, wow, how do you do that? I probably looked like that on the surface and then underneath was probably, you know, that um, image that everybody says about a swan, that you're sort of gliding across the surface, but underneath their, you know, their legs are sort of paddling like mad. Um, But I think it's, yeah, it's that bit of, um, for the other children, um, yeah, them, them knowing that the adults are in charge, that everybody's safe and you've got it really um but yeah the children that go to the school are really have had some really tricky times um all of them have sort of been find mainstream too tricky they can't manage um sort of mainstream schooling and they've all had some sort of trauma or attachment or something happen in their lives that have really affected the way that they view the world the way that they interact with other people and For a lot of them, and especially that little boy that you're talking about, if you imagine, um, I'm really frightened of wasps. If you imagine, if I was in a room with a wasp, and you know this, Debbie, because you've seen my (laughs) reactions to wasps, um, I I want to run away. So um, it's for for him. His his reaction is that like fight or flight. That he's triggered. Something's worrying him, and he goes into fight or flight. And 
um, it was really like teaching him was like there was always that wasp in the room with him um, and he was always on survival mode. So as soon as there was one little thing, that was it. He um, sort of went from naught to 60, um, especially around art um, because he was an exceptionally talented little boy at art. He really was. And I don't think I've ever come across a child that's so gifted with art in all of my career it was absolutely phenomenal he painted and drew and created like an adult professional artist and he was what nine years old at the time it was about nine he was amazing at it um but incredibly hard on himself and would even if he went out of um, a line of a colouring it would get ripped up, screwed up, the table would go, the chair knocked over, you might have a pot of pens thrown across your classroom. Um, I spent weeks and weeks and weeks colouring next to him, modelling how you can manage going out of a line when you're colouring in, <laughs> um, trying to get him to see that it's, you know, on a scale of naught to 10, it's not that terrible. Um, but so much of who he was and how good he felt about himself was put into the external really I suppose about what he was producing and I suppose for his little young life that's probably the thing that he got the most praise for Mm -hmm. and noticed for for the right reasons so it became his world and very important to him my goodness was he a perfectionist and um, if it wasn't right he would destroy everything that had come before, even if it was right nearly at the end of his piece of work. And I think I see that sometimes with the clients that come and work with me. They could have been making amazing progress in lots of their areas of their life, but if they've been triggered by something that impacts their identity and their beliefs on themselves, it can really set them back. It can feel like a catastrophe that the whole world's coming to an end. And it's really working with those clients to find a new way to no longer catastrophize, really, so that they can manage their expectations because you can't manage necessarily the external world around you. No. And that's a lot of the work that I do. And your your self-esteem and your self-belief and who you are as a person isn't dependent on your achievements and and, and external factors because they they could be at some point taken away and say so then you like who are you then like if you're all the time putting emphasis on I'm good at this or I'm whatever on the outside things rather than looking internally um, it can be extremely painful when you don't have those things anymore and I really noticed that during the pandemic I had a few clients that came to work with me and a huge part of their identity was their career and all of a sudden they were thrown into this chaotic situation where they no longer had that stability of going to work each day and without that they started to question who am I where do I fit and it got rid of all their stability which then caused their mental health to suffer yeah so it's absolutely huge it's so important in terms of well-being isn't it it is absolutely and so like with this little boy not only were you trying to encourage a skill and a talent that was amazing um, that could take him really far you're also trying to balance it with 
just because it goes a bit wrong doesn't mean that you're a terrible person and that you rubbish at it and that you need to destroy everything that's gone before. And that's just a part, you know, that isn't all of what makes you you. You've got lots of different parts and some of them lovely and, you know, and some of them you might think, well, I wish that part was a bit smaller, but they all have equal weighting really I suppose and they all just make you you and it's trying to accept all of those bits about yourself um, as a whole so he was a very complex little um, boy but very very lovely um, and I know as a you are like fantastic at art Debbie and very creative with your painting and things and I soon found out um, in class that you were very good at that and then used that to my advantage a bit I suppose in the classroom and thought oh what can I get Debbie to do with this little little chap to um and this art um to try and help me out and so at the end of um each day after they've done their lessons, they get a bit of chance to sort of work on sort of their social skills. We would do some playing and because that's just as important really um, as the learning. Um, so came up with this idea that you were going to work with him for a little bit, doing a bit of art at the end of every day. However, it wasn't just like a few minutes here and there that we expected. He became very fixated on an idea of producing a masterpiece. He did. And he yeah. also was very talented, although he wasn't trained musically. He did have an ear for music. And I don't quite know how. I think it was in conversation with him. It came up that I used to play the violin as a child mm. and I loved it. And with that, he decided he wanted to draw a violin. Now, a violin is really complex. It's got lots of funny angles. There's obviously all the wood grain and all the details and I thought how on earth are we going to produce this violin but I thought we'll give it a go I mean I threw you in at the deep end really with that because it, it yeah. could have gone one of two ways. it could have and so I sat next to him thinking he could blow up at any moment but we persisted so even just getting him to draw the outline I can't believe we got there because it was even like if he went a millimeter out of how it should be he would flip out yeah so the amount of times I had to grab that piece of a3 paper and pull it away from him yeah so that your teaching assistants or you could come in and basically team teach him so support him so that he wasn't hurting himself or anybody else yeah. and regulate you know regulate him again co-regulate to calm his nervous system down so he was then able to come back to it and we stuck at it so I was there for a month and yeah. I think for about three weeks of that Absolutely, yeah. we managed this violin picture so not only did he draw it he then got watercolour paints out it was watercolours and yeah. he was using tiny little brushes and the precision that went into it and he produced it yeah. and it was getting so close to the end and we thought we're going to have to grab a laminator for this and get it laminated because if we don't we could just see right at that last minute he might destroy it <laughs> And then he'd be devastated because he put so much effort into that. And he was really wanting to take it home and knowing the home environment as well, having just a piece of paper would, you know, um, not be great. So laminating it was a way of like protecting it as well at home, really. I mean, he was very, very angry at us when he'd finished and we got it in the laminator <laughs> because he, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that wasn't what he envisaged. envisaged. No. But, 
he came round to that. And then I remember just before I left, I think it was on the penultimate day of the placement, um, there was a talent show. So it was an opportunity for the staff and the children in the hall to take turns to show their talents. And there was, I mean, uh, listening to my children doing their talent shows, sometimes there's brilliant things, sometimes they're a bit obscure what children yeah. choose. Yeah. But it was just nice to see all of those children supporting each other. So I remember your teaching assistant, he played the drums for everybody and the kids were like, it was like they were watching it, a rock concert. They were in awe. They were, yeah. And then straight after that, we got this little boy on the stage in front of everybody. And I wanted to cry. He showed off this piece of paper that was laminated with this beautiful picture on. And he was just so proud. He was beaming, wasn't he? His he whole was. face lit up. Yeah. And I think that was such an amazing experience for me. And it stuck with me throughout not only my teaching career, but my therapeutic career. Because it just shows when you achieve something, when you're encouraged, when you're nurtured and supported, it can have a massive positive impact on your well-being. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it was funny, really, because it, it always stuck with me about that um, violin, because it was such a big thing for him. But I think for me and you as well, Debbie, a big thing for us to get through that three weeks and all in one piece. And he'd actually produced it. And um, sort of years later, it must have been... I don't know, nine years late, maybe eight years later, I was actually working in our secondary school setting. And lo and behold, he came, he came back and wanted to do um, some work experience. And he'd actually got himself to college and was doing um, art at college. And he wanted to come and um, for part of his college work was to paint like a mural. So we were sort of talking about that. And then I was chatting to him and saying about when he was in my class. And it's ever so odd when you've taught a child from sort of eight or nine and then they're 17 and they're like towering over yeah. you, you know. And so we were chatting away. And then I said, oh, I said, I, said, I can really remember um, you, you painting that and drawing that violin. And his whole face lit up, really smiled. And you could see like... It, you know, it was a lovely memory for him. And he said to me, I've still got that at home in my room. So after all of that time and after how chaotic his home is, for him to still have it and have saved it, like that would have took a lot. And it just shows how precious that was to him. And the fact that, you know, you could physically see like on his face and in his body, like what a lovely memory that was and I just think what a gift like to give a child that's had such a really hard challenging time of it like a, a memory like that and that it's like part of their story and that they can like look back on it and like have lovely feelings about um and you did that it's nice isn't it and I it's... think I love that story because it just shows by giving people just that little bit of time and that energy and effort, you can make a huge lasting difference. And we don't always know the positive impact we have on other people. We might say the smallest gesture or kind word and it can completely turn somebody's day around. We might spend a bit of time listening to somebody and it could save them. Yeah. It could set them on a different path. And I think what a privilege to be part of that, not only for that little boy, but life as it's gone on now, yeah. The other children that I went on to work with, 
all the clients that I work with now. And I think it's very much the same for you. And I think that's why we've always connected really well in our friendship, because you have that passion for the children that you teach. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's those little differences. that, And it's really difficult in the school I work in because they get to 11, they go off to their secondary schools and you don't really... That's it. You've kind of tried to fill them up as much as you can and give them what you can. But and it's kind of like fingers crossed, like, um, you know, and you just hope really that what you've done is enough to sort of see them through the next bit. Um, and it's been lovely because over the years there have has been children and that have come that have come back to see to see us and you know, and, and now they're having their own children, which just makes me feel <laughs> terribly old. Um, and so that's bit, and, and they've remembered you, and that's the bit you think, gosh, I, I remember them. Um, I've been moving house recently, and I've been sorting out all of my, like, memory boxes mm -hmm. for my children. Yeah. But I was also sorting out um, boxes. I've kept so much from my classes, um, and I've actually... When I was looking through it, I'm nearly 40, but um, I'd kept birthday cards that children had made mm -hmm. me from when I was turning 24 in my <laughs> classes. And I can still remember their names and yeah. still remember little things about them. And I really hope that I gave a bit of that to them too, so that when they are like having a struggle or when they think about things, that they like have like that nice little warm feeling of, of a lovely memory um and of their childhood which is just so precious when their, ch their childhoods have been so tricky yeah I think it's a really amazing gift and I think that's something I particularly love as well because I've got lots of things from when I was a teacher and although teaching wasn't the right path for me the one thing that I really loved was working with those children and for my six years of teaching, I always taught reception children, so children who were four and five years old. And I taught in a school where, although it was a mainstream setting, it, there was lots of complex needs. So there was, each year I'd have 60, 70% of the children that had English as an additional language. And a lot of the children that came in couldn't speak any English or it was limited to a few words. I then had 40 to 50% of the class each year that had special educational needs of some sort. And then there was also a good proportion of them that had challenging home situations. So I adopted very much the approach where possible that you used in your school, in your setting. And it was all about nurture. Yeah. And I think that was so special. And I think that did a really good job because there's occasion now where I'll say go to the supermarket or I'm out and about in town and I will bump into one of those children that I taught and they are now doing the first children, GCSEs and A-levels. And some of them still remember me. They're like, it's Miss Stevenson. <laughs> or they don't remember my name. They're like, you're that lady that taught me when I was in reception. And I think, wow, to remember me from four or five years old, yeah. I must have done something right. And I'm sure part of that was that nurture that yeah. I learned when I was working with you. Yeah, it's the nurture, the attachment, the relationship, all of those bits. and. I think you, Debbie, bring that into your work now as well. And when you're working with your clients and when you're working, um, doing your training as well with everybody, I think you 
like a special in that that you managed to make those relationships with um, your students and bring that teaching element into it um, which really gives everybody a bit of a boost and self-confidence and like belief in themselves really and I think the importance is recognizing that everybody is a unique individual we've all had our own unique life experiences our own backgrounds our own beliefs which have all then shaped our identity and it's if you can observe take time to see to hear to connect with a person and notice what areas they need to work on but also what are their strengths and support them to fulfill those things to become the best versions of themselves that they can be then i think that's something really special oh absolutely absolutely really special um and but i think we should tell them the story of how we then um <laughs> met again because we had our four weeks together and quite intense uh, placement and then you went back off to um sort of finish your teaching and um things like yeah. that and I carried on with my work and we didn't really um, stay in touch over that period we didn't, did although we? I had sort of your email address I think I lost it so I just finished university technically but it was before I started my first teaching job so I'd had my interview I'd already got a position in a school and I was a little bit gutted at the time because I loved your school when I went into it and there was a position available, but I'd already accepted yeah. first post and it was absolutely the right thing for my path. But we lost contact. However, like you say, our paths did cross again. And I think the universe made sure that happened. Because when I was 19, I got diagnosed with endometriosis. And I was told with the way that it was growing into my ovaries that I'd probably be quite unlikely to ever be able to conceive children of my own. So that made having children a priority. So I was told, when you're ready, try for six months. If you don't get anywhere, come and get the IVF cycle going. And if you can, try now. And as I, I'm 19, first year of university, um, me and my husband were not in a very stable relationship at the time. But what it meant was then as soon as I qualified, as soon as I got my first teaching job, we then started trying for a baby because I knew it was time was precious and it was important. The younger I tried to conceive, the more likely we would be successful. So everything went fine. I used reflexology um, to help me control the endometriosis with the pain, but also with the fertility. And luckily, after three months, I fell pregnant with my oldest child. And it was at my 20 week scan. I was sat in the waiting room. I'd just gone in for my scan, came out and was sat there and then waiting to be called in by the midwife. And you walked past me. I did. Yeah, we bumped into each other in the um, waiting room of the maternity <laughs> clinic and we got chatting again and then um, sort of seeing how we, you know, catching up on things. And then we got on to when our due dates were and were they the they were very close, close. so yeah. rosie was due on the 1st of october i can't and remember patty was 24th of september so they so were, they were close so we swapped numbers didn't we and then we met at um asda one day and had a cuppa and it was so nice because i was quite young i was only i've been 21 or 22 i was 22 when i gave birth but I didn't really have any friends that were going through that. So it was really nice to have another adult that was experiencing what it was like to be pregnant and also being a teaching career. And I remember sitting there thinking like when we were discussing baby names and our ideas, I was thinking, 
please don't say the same baby names that I've got. <laughs> but you didn't. And I was like, yes. So that was good. So then it, it got all the way to, obviously, we met a few times. And then I went into labour. Yeah, before me. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I can, I got a text message on the 23rd of September from Debbie going, I've had Rosie, you know, and then you had said something like, <laughs> that was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I was sat there and my due date was the next day. And I was like this big bump. And I was thinking, oh, thanks for that, Debbie. You know, it's filled me with confidence. Like, I'm going to have to do this thing. Um, and, and you know, and there you go. And then Hattie was actually born the next day. Yeah. Um, so our two oldest are like a day apart. A day apart, yeah. Um, and it couldn't have actually worked out. I'm sure the universe did it to like throw us together again because, you know, from that moment on, I think we've been such support for each other through so many things. But our friendship has evolved and developed in ways that I couldn't have even imagined at the very beginning because at first it was about pregnancy and just supporting each other through sleepless nights and breastfeeding and we'd meet up with the kids and it would just be about the kids but as they've got older um you know our fr our friendship has really um got a lot deeper I it think. has and I think we've grown together we've learned a lot about ourselves because I think both of us have had similar ideas when we had our children in terms of what our expected roles were in terms of being a wife, in terms of being a parent, in terms of having a career. And I think a lot of the time we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and a lot of the time put our needs behind everybody else's. Mm. So we often wouldn't follow our own wants and needs and instead would follow the shoulds and oughts of what we thought we needed to do. And it's through learning about ourselves that's transformed over time. And I think we've become better people, haven't we? We've got a better balance now. I think I think I agree with that. I think there was a lot for me of what I should be doing and a lot of, um, like, I suppose, like that little boy painting that violin. From, I, I know I put a lot on my external world of this is what a happy life looks like. This is what I should be doing, like working hard in my job, a nice house, I'm going to have the children, like um, this is what a good mother looks like. And part of that is sacrificing a bit of yourself, um, you know, and a bit of who you are um, in order to make sure that they have the best, happiest life they possibly can and I do think my job has fed into that because I've seen some awful things and the children I've worked with have had awful times and I think I just felt so strongly I wanted the complete opposite for my own children that they never um sort of had a, had a worry or a, a major life event which is so silly to think that I could protect them from that um uh but yeah i had like a really strong feeling that that's what i needed to do um but you can only keep going for so long and keep that up for so long um and you've really supported me i think through my journey of like getting to the other side of sort of um you know accepting that 
it's okay to sometimes you know put your own wants and needs um first and that doesn't mean you're choosing yourself over somebody else um it's it's i suppose it's um don't know really how to describe it really looking looking after yourself so you can so your cup's full so you can give it back to them if you Definitely. know what i mean and i say that a lot to my clients i say that if you end up being so worn out and so depleted because you're looking after everybody else all the time what happens then when you end up getting poorly because of that who is going to look after all of those people you need to put that self-love that self-time that self-nurturing self-caring because if you can be the best version of yourself that you can be then you're the best version of yourself for everyone else and i think that was massive learning for me and massive learning sort of for my journey because once again i had similar ideals my identity was very much around me being the mother the partner that sort of was based on quite traditional views mm -hmm. about me teaching and then things changed for me so obviously in my third pregnancy and you were such an amazing support with that i suffered discrimination from work and i had health complaints i had health issues and i was having to go and see a consultant regularly at the hospital for blood tests because i had a condition where bile acid would build up in the body and it could potentially cause stillbirth or premature birth and through that i wasn't supported perhaps as i would have liked to have been and in the end a midwife signed me off sick and said you're not going back into that environment because it is dangerous for you and your baby and i had a couple of weeks of absolute panic and you just settled me through that you listened to lots of tears and lots of worry and i knew that if i went back into that environment it would probably lead me to be very poorly in terms of my mental health so i had a couple of weeks thinking well what do i want to do and i sort of had an idea that i wanted to be a therapist i'd already started then working on myself through learning reiki and starting to meet with more spiritual people and people that were into holistic well-being so all of a sudden i came to you and i was like philippa i'm going to retrain as a therapist and you're a bit like debbie you're seven and a half months pregnant so I chose hypnotherapy because it fascinated me. And I'd always thought teaching, I loved the teaching the children, but I didn't like politics or sometimes the not very nice behaviour that occurred within that setting. And I think there's restraints, isn't there? You can't always do things you want to do because there is the curriculum, there is the assessment, there is the things within teaching that do put limits on what, what you can do and I, I struggle with limits and boundaries so I, I decided to retrain so i did so i had a week off to give birth and then got back to it and then i qualified and i still thought i was going to be going back to teaching because we didn't have enough money to pay the bills and it got closer and closer to the time it was being made very difficult for me to go back and i just said to you one day i can't do it so instead i handed in my resignation along with a formal grievance so great and i was terrified because i'd never really stood up for myself mm. and i'd if i had ever stood up for myself in childhood i was always told you've not really got any self-preservation debbie sometimes you just need to hold back and take it basically and it was the scariest thing i did but i had to overcome that and i sort of knew what sort of person i was and that really gave me that impetus that i had to make this work and I did. And that really opened me up. And I think it freed me to thinking, I need to do what's best for me so that I can be best for everyone else. 
because I became a better parent, all of a sudden I was a lot more relaxed at home. I was a lot happier. I was a better partner. And more present. More present because I was doing something I was really passionate about and also I could fit it in around my family. And I was getting to really help people and that was the passion. I always I went into teaching because I wanted to help people and make a difference. Mm. And I love it because I get to do that every day now. It's amazing. It is amazing. It is. And you've done, I, I, I can't tell you how proud I am of you. Oh, thank you. you to, to think where you started from and it was such a scary time and you had an, it, and it wasn't, you know, you had a newborn baby, first time mum. I can remember you just hardly had any money. You, the oven broke and I think you sort of made do, didn't you, with the hob and the microwave. For yeah, we had two working long. hobs in a microwave and it was over six months. Um, I had three small children, six months without an oven to cook in. And like, I was still living at our house, so we would move now, but it had a kitchen that was about two metres by two and a half metres, so it was tiny. tiny. And there wasn't even enough worktop to put five or six plates on. And it was chaos. And I look back and think, how did I have a, a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a newborn and do all of that? But you do. And I, yeah. And I think you've got that kind of inner drive and inner want. And I think you learned this quicker than I did. It's only, I think I'm only just learning it, that you really learned to trust yourself and trust your inner voice and your wants and to follow it. And I think it always seems to them come good when you do do that, when you're not fighting against yourself or thinking oh I won't do it because really I should be doing this if you follow that kind of your instinct almost I suppose um it does always seem to it work out does. and that's how I live my life now I follow my intuition and instinct but I needed to go through a therapeutic journey myself to get to that point of doing some self-healing so sometimes that was watching things on YouTube or reading books other times it was giving myself Reiki and then through the therapies that I was learning, it was doing that self-work or having other recently qualified therapists working on me and I would work on them. And I realised a lot of the time I'd made my decisions up until that point based on fear, mm. fear of what might go wrong, fear of what might people think. What might people think? I mean, that's mm. been a huge one. Limitations of what am I capable of? And I think you saying about, obviously, what might people think? That's been another huge part of both of our journeys. So I'd say when we first met each other, obviously, it was very much about that sort of mental, intellectual level at the school. Then we had the babies and a lot of it was about our physical well-being and our emotions. And then started to get to know ourselves more. But there was still part of me for quite a long time that I kept from you because I wasn't sure of how you would view me so I am very spiritual and I'm also quite eccentric quirky quirky and so I kept it very sort of normal for a long time what would be perceived as normal however then we had a mutual friend Paul and I used to tell him about some of the more spiritual beliefs and ideas and experiences that I'd had to which he didn't believe in any of that he took great delight in taking the mick out of me and for some reason I've tolerated that from him and you also became very good friends with him. And he ended up one day when we were sat in your garden, enjoying a cup of tea, watching all the children play, telling you about some of the spiritual experiences that I had. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, 
I've had this friendship for years now. It's one of my most secure, stable friendships. Why are you telling her all of this? She <laughs> might all of a sudden think I'm a complete weirdo and sort of slowly back away. But you didn't. And that was really nice because once again, then it gave me that confidence in myself that the right people will love and accept me for who I am. Yeah. And you've got to just think as well. I think sometimes as well, like that was a thought that you, that I wasn't going to um, accept you for who you are. That was based on no evidence. That wasn't based on anything. That wasn't reality. No. That was a thought that you would had in your head. And yeah, and based on fear, maybe to stop you because it was a, it's an important thing. Our friendship, it's been like massive for me. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of the times those thoughts that we have of like, I'm not good enough. I won't be able to do it. Um, what what are they going to think? Or, you know, they won't like me or they think I'm crazy. They are all just thoughts. They aren't based on any reality or any evidence. So you kind of have to like take a risk sometimes and just go for it because actually every time I've took a risk, it might have been incredibly scary and incredibly painful. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's actually worked out for the best and I feel happier for it because I've gone because what what would I do? It's like um, I once heard somebody say it's a bit like when you're in an aeroplane and you you know this decision you want to make and you stood there like on the edge. It's scary to jump out, but also what are you going to do? Take a step back because it's painful and scary back there as well. And so you've just got to take that leap of faith, really. I think and jump out the aeroplane and. If it works out, it means you have deeper connections and a more authentic relationship with yourself as well as the other people around Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the work that I do with my clients is all about developing that authentic relationship with the self. Because how I work is I work very holistically. So I look at what's going on in the thought processes of a client, but also I like to look at how that impacts the individual energetically. So I very much believe that the mind and body are an integrated system. So when we have a thought, whether it's real or whether it's imagined, that will then trigger off the release of hormones in our body. Those hormones and chemicals then have an impact on the physical body. So when we're thinking good thoughts and feelings, we tend to get all those nice positive endorphins that make us feel well. If, however, we're feeling stressed, threatened, vulnerable, that's going to release lots of things like cortisol and adrenaline which over a long-term basis then start to cause dis-ease. So often the thoughts that we hold on to and the feelings attached to them, unless we sort them out and release them, they then create an imbalance in terms of our physical well-being as well. So as I'm working with my clients, I think it's essential to be dealing with that so that they're well on all levels. And that all comes back to that authentic self. Because when you are able to say what you mean and mean what you say and live your life being congruent with who you really are, you feel better. Life flows and you make the right connections and the right choices for you to live your life to the full. Uh, and, and I have worked so hard on that. I think the 
my outside did not match my inside. And so I've worked really hard on kind of aligning those two worlds. And I think I've lost a few people along the way. And I think, well, that, uh, you know, that's been hard, but I think the universe is, that's what's meant to be. Um, but I've also found people along the way and the people that I found and know my true self, um, those relationships and connections mean more than anything now. And I really do have a feeling of contentment, which I think previously was missing. And I think that was the bit that I was always searching for, looking for. I was always trying to meet that bit by some sort of external factor, whether that was I needed to do a new job or do a course or I needed to um, sort this thing out in the house or get the bathroom done or like I feel better when this happens. I feel better when this bit is sorted out. But actually, I'd do it, I'd achieve it, achieve it. And then I'd be like, what? why don't I feel like happy now? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the next bit I can do what is it that's missing um and I and I spent a long time like that and I felt like I've always been like looking to fix that bit and while I've been doing that I've probably been missing out on the present of what's actually being present and what's happening right now and the joy I have around me and it wasn't until I really well I went to therapy really and started to look in at me on the inside and who I really was and trying to make that aligned with who I, who I wanted to be on the outside um, that I found like a bit of inner peace and contentment. And now I don't really feel like I'm all the time running to the next thing. I feel like I can actually just be a little bit now. Which is amazing and I'm so proud of you. But I think you're right, when you do that inner work on yourself, then it allows you to find that peace and contentment and be in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important. And I'm really pleased, even in the few years that I've been a therapist, there seems to have been a massive shift in people opening up, talking more, recognising that there doesn't have to be something that somebody may have has been seriously wrong with you in order for you to seek therapy. It's just a really beneficial process to identify actually something doesn't feel in alignment within myself. Something's not quite balanced. I want to change something. And do you know what? I haven't got the tools on my own to deal with it. Because the thing is, like in our society, we go to school, we're taught how to read, how to write, how to count. But a lot of the time, we're not taught how to regulate our emotions or how to communicate effectively with others. And our teachers don't know that. Our parents don't tend to know that. And without that, then we end up having to piece together what we can. And some mm -hmm. people do that very effectively. But most of us, if not everybody I've ever come across, will have something that at some point the mind has created and chosen as a strategy to get them through a situation at that time. But it isn't actually helpful. It's yeah. limiting. And so I think going through that therapeutic process, it really allows you to explore those limitations, the things that you've put in place but are no longer serving you and recognising you can become empowered and shift them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's like the, you know, the children that I work with, that young young boy with the violin, he, he had learned strategies called heroic defences, that's what oh. we call them. <laughs> They'd learned, and, and they served well at the time. They had a purpose at the time. They got them through, you know, helped them through some really difficult, you know, times when it probably felt life-threatening to them. Um, but then applying that into a normal society and everyday life, um, it just doesn't work and it just doesn't fit. Um, and that's where you know, our school comes in really, I suppose, and the work that I do and and the work that you do in your um, therapy, Debbie, is like helping people um, sort of give, give them alternative strategies um, to sort of manage when they're feeling that overwhelm. But it's taken ye- years for those heroic defences to establish. So none of it is an easy journey and takes years to undo some of it and even then we can slip back into old habits and old ways because they feel safe to us Mm -hmm. it feels really unsafe unnerving unsteady um when you're sort of dipping your toe into trying new ways of being so for me, I've always found uncomfortable conversations really difficult and would rather than say to somebody, you know, you've really upset me or I don't feel very happy about that, um, I would ignore it, minimise it, hope it would go away um, and sort of brush it under the carpet. Or if somebody was feeling upset with me, over something I'd done, instead of me feeling able to have a conversation about it and feel like that's their feelings, they don't belong to me, I would take their feelings on board. It would feel so uncomfortable for me to sit in, I would then overcompensate and try and fix it for them. But really, when I think about it, was it for them? I think it was probably more for me because I wanted to disperse those feelings I was having because I found them so painful for anybody to be disapproving of me. And like, how can you have a life where nobody disapproves of you? That's just like a ridiculous expectation. Well, that's the thing. There's like 7 billion of us on the planet that all have different ideas, attitudes, values and beliefs. Some people were really going to resonate with other people not so much yeah and that's okay but I think that must have been so completely exhausting for you because you're constantly living your life thinking am I doing something wrong how do I correct it and then like you say you end up overcompensating so you're using all of that energy and the likelihood is you're still not making some of those people happy or fulfilled which then leaves you feeling depleted so I think like you say what you've done is a remarkable journey you've started recognizing that was about your feelings and through working on yourself to heal those issues, you then now have healthier boundaries in terms of what your expectations are and what other people expect of you. And is it something that's in alignment with who you are? Are they taking advantage? Is it a mutually beneficial relationship? And you've, you've got sort of, let me think out how to word this. You're not, aggressive nor are you passive you're positively assertive 
Mm. So you're somewhere in the middle where you are very caring. You're always going to be empathetic, sympathetic, kind and good natured. But you balance that out now with your needs. So rather than using those skills as a detriment to yourself, you can now use them as a genuine strength because you're also taking care of yourself. Yeah. And I think it's where you learn, like, I'm going to trust myself and go for this with quitting my job and the therapy and all of that. That I think I'm now at that point where I can trust myself with some of the decisions that I'm making. Whereas before, I never felt like I could trust myself. And I'd, you know, it's fine to ask people for their opinions, but I would be like wanting everyone's reassurance that I was doing the right thing and feeling really anxious and worried about it. Whereas now I'll ask people their opinions, but I, I still go with what I think. Um, and I'm like big, trusting myself in those decisions, um, which is a massive thing. It's huge. And what I've noticed in terms of your communication is in the past, if you would have spoken to me about something you're thinking of, you'd have very much ask me what did I think and it would almost be like you're passing that responsibility onto somebody else to tell you what to do now however when you speak about something you tell me what your decision is and you ask me are there any other considerations are there any different viewpoints or anything extra to think about so that you can carry through with that decision in a really successful way mm. so it's a completely different thing that you're doing now yeah, absolutely. I think I completely agree with you and haven't actually thought about it like that. But I, yeah, that is what I, I'm more like now. Sort of asking, is there anything I haven't thought of rather than like, what should I do? What should I do? But getting to this point has been like two years of therapy, really. Um, and it isn't the easiest of things to do. Um, it's been very challenging and, you know, there's been lots of tears and change is really painful. Um, you know, it's growth, isn't it? And growth and learning and they're not always easy things, um, but it's completely worth it. Definitely. And I think your story really highlights the journey, the process of it. So when I knew you, it's like because you were so like basically a people pleaser. Yeah. Um, so you described it really well to me one time that it's like a frog. If you put a frog in a pan of boiling water, it will hop out. Whereas if you put a frog in normal temperature water that's comfortable and then slowly turn up the heat, turn up the heat, turn up the heat, it will not notice and hop out until eventually it boils to death. Yeah. And I think that's where you got you been accepting and tolerating lots of behaviours from lots of different people in your life that were not really considering or valuing your needs and because you were in it you didn't notice because it happened progressively and what that therapy did for you is it allowed you to almost step out of it and view the situations for what they were and then analyse who you were and how you were dealing with it and then each time that gave you almost like another direction to take your learning and your growth and I think that's the thing. We are holistic beings. And often when we start to heal one symptom, it then brings up something else until we eventually get to the cause. But once we've healed that cause, we fly. Yeah. And it's it's about giving yourself space to feel your feelings 
to acknowledge them and to be kind to yourself. We have such busy lives as mums and working and home lives that it's really difficult to do that sometimes. And I think that's when, if you're not dealing with things and feeling your feelings, that's when things can become quite overwhelming um, and you slip into old behaviours um, or I would, you know, this become quite chaotic, I suppose. Other people become quite controlling, don't they, of their environment and around them. And really we've got to, if you imagine you've got chaotic down one side of a river and control down the other side of the river what we want to be is on that boat sort of chugging along the middle and we might sway from one side to the other a little bit but at times of overwhelm you kind of get on one side of the bank or the other and um I'm, I'm on the chaotic side of the bank where I just do more and more and go a bit like I need to do this this and this and be be perfect really mm -hmm. and um it might look on the outside, I think, to other people that I'm just getting stuff done and it looks quite controlled, but definitely on the inside, I'm feeling very chaotic um, about things. Um, and I think therapy has really helped me understand a lot of that and helped me recognise when I'm getting to that point and given me like a bit of a breathing gap of like oh that's what's happening take a moment and then make and then respond rather than just have an automatic reaction to things it's, it's recognizing isn't it that the behaviors are passing you a message yeah whether it's something physical happening in your body or whether it's a reaction you give emotionally it's letting you know actually maybe something's imbalanced or there's something underneath that needs addressing and like you say quite often we react without really taking that moment to reflect. And I think through therapeutic work, it gives us that space to reflect and think, okay, what is this behavior teaching me? What message is it trying to pass me? And once you know that you can then, rather than being a hostage to your behaviors and emotions, you can then use them strategically in your life to let you know, are you steering in the right direction or do you need to shift things? And you can then start to use them as strategies. So using them in the right way. Yeah. So your busyness, when that is in a healthy balanced state, that is really useful. When it's actually because you're overwhelmed, that's a problem. So it's learning how to use the skills and strategies we already have, but in a way that's going to benefit our lives. And we do that through learning about ourselves. Yeah. And it's just like that little boy, really, with coming back to his painting that his, his wanting it to be so neat and lovely and taking such pride in his work all of those things there's nothing wrong with those things and but it's recognizing when they're at that extreme really isn't it yeah. i suppose and um you know nobody's saying that he shouldn't have have like a bit of perfectionism or whatever but it's in healthy doses and it's not having a negative impact um on your life or your self-esteem really um and and you know and you and you write about like the therapy i actually went thinking i'm going to talk about work and the children that i work with because some of the things are really upsetting but actually once i got there soon discovered that 
as much as that was important for me to talk about, there was quite a lot of other things underneath um, that I, that really were um, affecting me. And I think that soon came to light, really. And um, it ended up not not going quite how I thought it would go, <laughs> but here and I am. <laughs> do you know what? And you've had a really tough couple of years. But seeing from the outside the progress you've made, the way that you've shifted, how much more relaxed, how much more positive you are, wow, what a positive transformation. I mean, it's even little things like, so I'm quite sporadic, I'm quite spontaneous. You used to be quite organised to the extreme with certain things like, I felt like because maybe some areas of your life felt so out of control, you then overcompensated by making things really in control so one example I remember is you come into my house and we had a Halloween party (laughs) with eight children and there was us three adults me and the other adult sat there drinking a hot drink as soon as the kids had finished with any game any food you were straight up with a dustpan and brush (laughs) and a sweet brush or the hoover and you were tidying (laughs) up and I just sat there thinking, wow, this is great. I'm getting somebody else that's tidying my house for me because I'm not like that. But underneath it, I sort of thought, oh, that's really interesting because it's that sort of need for that control. But as you have healed yourself and taken more control of who you are in your life, you've become more relaxed. So you are still organised and efficient, but you do that in a way that's successful to you now rather than because you're having to avoid or run away from other areas. Yeah, I think that's it. I think I felt very chaotic on the inside and couldn't control really that. But what I could control was my environment and how tidy the house yeah. was. And, um, and oh, yeah. And, um, you know, even at my house, I think there was something in like how I, you know, I've seen some really awful houses and done home visits. And I think there was something in that, uh, you know, I want my children to have like a tidy, yeah. clean house. and But instead of being, well, that's just good enough, like I would want it as a perfectionism of it all. Um, and who really, when I think back, who really remembers how tidy your house is when you were a kid? No. You don't You don't care, you know? So, um, yeah, I definitely agree. I think I am a lot more relaxed about things like that and... I can think, well, it will get done when it gets done, um, uh, but, you know, and a little bit more, um, yeah, a little bit more relaxed. And then I think I once spoke to you about, um, like, Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I was a, li- a little bit more, like, I would have to get all of the jobs done yeah. before I go to the ball. So for me to have a lovely time... I would always feel like I would need to get all of my jobs done to be able to go to the ball because then I will have earned it. Whereas you are, I'm going to the ball. I don't care about (laughs) this, this and this. I'm just having the good time. And then I might just wipe the cloth around a little bit when I get home. Like that, you know, so we were complete opposites with that. But I think I'm not quite there yet. But... I do think I can just accept that, yeah, it's it's okay enough. It's good enough. And I think that's great. And I think actually being friends with you has brought me into balance. So you've made me recognise sometimes I do need some of that organisation. Because I remember that 
exact conversation and how it came about it was because of the guinea pig castle wasn't it <laughs> so what had happened is I, i've got two guinea pigs and we'd adopted these guinea pigs um during the pandemic and i love my guinea pigs but it was getting colder and they'd been outside so i was going to put them in the shed but i had loads of jobs that i needed to do but instead of like doing that i decided i was going to make them a <laughs> guinea pig castle so i didn't just take them inside the shed i spent all afternoon like cutting out castle shapes didn't i Twats and things and making them yeah it was spectacular a spectacular <laughs> home it had no purpose the guinea pigs could not care less but for me i felt really pleased with that and yeah so that came that was how that conversation came up i'm a bit random aren't i but yeah. i think i've given you like a little dose of my randomness and you've given me a dose of your organization <laughs> and i think between us we do a pretty good job yeah we're, we're a bit yin and yang and balance each other out and yeah. give each other a bit of what we both need i think i've needed a bit of your quirkiness and a bit of um go with the flow and i've loved hearing about like the spiritual side of things it's really opened up a lot for me um over things and i've i'm sure I can come back another day and talk about yes. some of the bits that <laughs> have happened um, for me when I've done some Reiki and things like that. Um, and that's been amazing for me. And then I think, I hope that, I, like you said, I've given you a little bit of sort of my organisational bits and, um, you know, sanity, a bit <laughs> sanity yeah, and... Um, you know gra gra maybe more grounding you i think yeah. because i think sometimes you can like float around yes and it's hard to pin you down and i think through our conversations it helps you to ground you and you then sort of formulate more of a plan because um, you have lots of things going on um and i think hopefully i'd hope that i help you just sort of pin things down and it's a bit more of a sequence absolutely i agree with that and i think also you have been very nurturing for me but not in a way of like having to look after me but just the supportive nature of our friendship that genuine acceptance of me yeah. who i am and our journeys and recognizing do you know what we might have a bad day we might make mistakes but we're always just accepting and supportive of each other i think that's been really transformational yeah. in me accepting myself so I love our friendship Absolutely. and I just, yeah, I can't wait to like see where it goes sort of and having these conversations perhaps when we're like 70. Yeah, as our children grow up and our careers change and the next bits of our lives happen, um, I think we'll just carry on growing together, accepting each other with like no judgment. And for me, that's incredibly freeing that to have someone in my life that I can tell somebody like my deepest secret um which is very rare i think not mm -hmm. many people can be um so like open like that and you know and still be accepted and you know you're still going to be loved is 
incredibly special. It really is. So I think that's probably the point that we should stop today because I think think we probably could talk for hours Mm -hmm. and we will do again. I'm sure I'll have you back at some point. But yeah, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your love and ongoing support for me. Not a problem. I've loved every minute of it. I love our chats. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay, I'll speak to everyone again soon, hopefully. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming and take care. Okay, bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you are interested in what we do, please go to my website, www.tranquil-awakenings.co.uk. As well as information on the therapies I offer, there is also links to my Past Life Regression Therapist Programme and my Professional Hypnotherapy Training Programmes. If you are looking for online training for self-development, please go to debbieison.thinkific.com. And also remember to follow me on social media. Simply on Facebook, type in Tranquil Awakenings to find my business page. And I'm also on Instagram. I love hearing from you. Please do send any comments or questions. And if you have any ideas of what you would like me to talk about on future episodes, please do send me a message.